It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Lutie. So as we start, uh, why this is going to be the theme for us to start with, it's a good one, but every, every semester always has to start with something, right? And so this just happens to be the theme that is coming out for us. Uh, the title of this one is Embracing Your Cross. I always title everything. You hang around me and you're going to notice every single thing gets titled. If someone asks me to come in for a 10-minute talk, I'll title it. And I, I do have a subtitle. I almost deleted it right before I walked up here. So because I didn't want to give too much away, but this sort of will give a lot away. Do you see it as a curse or as a blessing? Now, what's interesting about that question, first of all, I'm saying your cross, not just Christ's cross, your cross. And a lot of us have never really gathered the idea that we have a cross that we're supposed to pick up. We're supposed to pick it up and carry it and follow Jesus. This is like, well, we know he has a cross and we're cheering him on going, go Jesus, well done. Boy, you carried that cross so well. Oh, I appreciate that. He says, I have one for you too. Like, wait, what? What's, what's that? What? I mean, I, I love your cross. Your cross is so wonderful. Could we get, a, you know, get off the subject of my cross? Not interested in having a cross. And there is a dimension to the Christian life where we cherish his cross. If we could put a capital C on his cross. His cross is different than ours in a lot of ways, but it's similar in a lot of ways. They both have splinters, and they both are a proving ground, and they both are a instrument of change in the world. His is capital C. His is the one that brings about a redemption of all humankind. I mean, it's a big, big deal what is happening on his cross. His cross is bringing atonement of sin. Ours doesn't do that. Ours is refining us, but it's doing something similar in us, but in a micro way. And it's very, very significant that we learn, not just that we have a cross, don't just stare at it and go, hmm, Ah, I'm not too happy about that cross, but that we don't just pick it up, because there's two ways to pick it up. You can grumble the whole time you're picking up your cross. Uh, some of us are going to be caught red-handed as we go through this message, realizing we've been grumbling. Uh, what, what's the term that uh, the Israelites did in the wilderness? Murmuring and complaining. It's funny, we don't usually use the word murmuring uh, anymore, but it's a good word. When I think of the word murmur, it's like, <laughs> it's like murmur. What do you say? Murmur, 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 murmur. <laughs> And you're murmuring about something, complaining about something that God has given you. And we're like, I don't like it. I don't want it. And when that happens, it's like it deadens your spiritual life and your sensitivities. Your spiritual sensitivities, and it's like your, your entire ability to interact with the kingdom of heaven sort of seems to be tied in with how well you receive that which God is desiring to give you. I want to give you life. I don't want life. I want to give you hope in a future. I don't want hope in a future. Well, you, you're desensitizing. It's like you're, you're numbed and you're deadened to the things of heaven when you reject the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is what this is. God is giving us someone very personal to live inside of us that will show us how to follow, that will show us where to go, that will refine us and sanctify us and build us into an amazing picture of the king of kings for this world to behold. So it's interesting because a cross to a Jew is a symbol of a curse. 
Anyone who hangs upon a tree is cursed. And so a cross, even though you could call it a Roman invention, to a Jew they would say, that's a tree. And anyone who hangs upon it, the Romans are even chuckling to themselves. It's like, yeah, look at the Jews. Boy, they really don't like these crosses. Why? Because to a Jew, that's a symbol of a curse. This is a big deal. To the Jewish world's and a cross, I mean, the Romans institute crucifixion in the middle of their environment. It's like, to them, it has a deep symbolism to hang on a tree. I mean, there, there could be no greater shame to a Jew than to hang on a tree publicly. So, do you see it as a curse or as a blessing? There was an article, not really an article, it was a chapter in a book uh, written by A.W. Tozier. I don't know if any of you guys have ever read A.W. Tozier. I'm happened to really enjoy A.W. Tozier, has had a huge impact on my life. And it was a chapter called The Old Cross and the New. I, I read it again, I think it was last night, and I was going through it, and it's interesting just how many memories come back to me, and how there's so many quotes in this one little chapter called The Old Cross and the New. I almost just copied, pasted it, and just read it to you, but I didn't. Uh, that would have been a great idea right about now. I'm thinking, you know, I'd really like you guys to hear it, but, but I don't have that. But even, there's so many little lines, like as a staff, if, you were to, if we were to read that together, you'd hear me. There's certain lines I've said throughout all these years of Ellerslie. It's like, you think they're my lines, and then you say, that was A.W. Tozier that said that. And yeah, it's like A.W. Tozier, this one chapter is so deeply baked into my spiritual life because this issue was one of the starting points in my discipleship. Cross sitting in front of me, Eric, how are you going to respond to it? How am I going to respond to the cross of Christ? And how am I going to, going to respond to the cross that he's asking me to carry? And there's so much, what he was talking about in this, A.W. Tozier has passed away now, and he, uh, but his stance for uncompromising truth was very unique in his generation. And what he saw is that the capital C cross that I'm hoping you, right along with me, cherish as the epicenter of all life and hope, redemption. This is, this is where it all happens. But how we interact with it, there's a new version of a new fangled version of the cross that is sort of entered into our culture, which doesn't ask a man to come and die. It just sort of pats him on the back and says, you know, just keep living the way you want to live because the cross has done the work just to set you free to be selfish. It's like a remake of the cross. And we live in a generation that is the exact same as what A.W. Tozier was describing, maybe multiple steps beyond that, where the new cross doesn't ask a man to come and die. The new cross just is patting him on the back and saying, hey, whatever you want to do in your life, you dream it, you do it as opposed to recognizing that the essence of the cross means you give up the life you once knew, and you come and live the life now that Jesus wants to live in and through you. It's a very, very different orientation to life. You are transferring kingdoms. When you go from dark to light, things change. If we were in a pitch black room right now and then we flicked on the light, whoa, you'd have a lot more dimension to life that would open up. And that's precisely what is happening when we come to the cross. If you try and come to the cross and keep the light out, and you never allow the light to turn on your life that truly will convict you of sin, will show you that you have to change, you know, I, I recognize it's harder. The old cross is splintery. The old cross 
bids a man to come and die, classic uh, Tozier line right there, that, that line, bids a man to come and die, that's, that's the old cross in the new language right there. So I have a little clip, okay, I didn't get the whole thing, but I have a little clip just to whet your appetite. The old cross is a symbol of death. It stands for the abrupt, violent end of a human being. The man in Roman times who took up his cross and started down the road had already said goodbye to his friends. He was not coming back. He was going out to have it ended. The cross made no compromise, modified nothing, spared nothing. It slew all of the man, completely and for good. It did not try to keep on good terms with its victim. It struck cruel and hard. And when it had finished its work, the man was no more. So, how are you going to engage with the cross of Christ? You see, when you come to the cross of Christ, you need to understand it is a, it is a tool that is intended to end a life. When you come to the cross, you're not thinking you're going to come back and live the life you lived before. I mean, just go back in Roman times, and someone you're sentenced to death on the cross, you probably have a farewell party. <laughs> your mom is weeping. You're behind prison bars. She's weeping, and you're like touching her face, and it's one of those tender moments. The camera zooms in. The background music is soft, and you know everyone in the audience that's watching. I mean, because the man is going to die. He's not just going out and his left hand dies, and he comes back. He's like, what's wrong with your left hand? Oh, it's crucified, and it's like all dead. The whole man dies. The whole kit and caboodle goes. We want a version of Christianity that loses a little. Okay, I'm willing to give up this God. So my left hand, all right. That's going to be a big loss, but all right. So now the rest of our life, we have given up our left hand. When in actuality, God says, this needs to be on my terms. I died on a cross so that you could enter into that death so that the full work of what I did could be done on your old man. Your old man is standing in the way of me building a new man. I need that old man to die completely. I need you to say adios to the life you've lived so that you can enter into the life I desire to give you. So the reason that a cross is so uniquely symbolic to the Jewish people is because to hang on a tree meant something. It meant that you were suspended between two realms, heaven and earth, and you were rejected of both. Earth will no longer receive you. You have violated its laws. We reject you. And so they suspend. And then heaven says, and you are not welcome here. That's a bad place to be, guys. When you are rejected of earth and rejected of heaven, where do you hang? You hang on a cross. That's the symbol, okay? Isn't that an amazing thought? And so it's called a curse. Jesus became a curse for us. We deserved it. We deserve to be rejected of this earth and rejected of heaven. In fact, we were, if you want to say it that way. For all practical purposes, that is the summation of our life. But he said, I'll do it for you. And he hung on a cross for us. And what he did in so doing is he converted a cross. And now we can look at a cross no longer as a curse, but as a symbol of redemption. This is where we find life. Isn't that an amazing statement? Who would ever think of 
making a cross a symbol of life. It is an execution device. And yet when we see the cross, we see life. This is where I have life. Where do you find life? At the cross. <laughs> yeah, we, we take it for granted. I mean, that sounds totally normal to us. But that's where you find death. That's where I find life. And so when we begin to translate, not just Christ's capital C cross, but then we recognize what he says to us. Whosoever will come after me. Jesus, I want to come after you. I want to follow you. I want to go where you're going. You want to go where I'm going? Eric, you serious about that? You want to go where I'm going? Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, this was said before the capital C cross. So you can imagine how that sounded. To us, it just sounds romantic. It's like, oh, how beautiful. I can pick up my cross, which is, of course, a symbol of redemption, and I can follow, as opposed to recognizing what his disciples might have been thinking in that exact moment. Yeah, pick up your electric chair and follow me. It's like, what? Pick up your cross? When a man picks up his cross, he doesn't come back. What do you think Jesus is saying? Let him deny himself, guys. You're going to have to leave life as you know it. You want to follow me? You want to be my disciple? You're going to need to give up life. You're going to need to be willing to suffer. You ready to follow me? You want to be in on this thing? Maybe we should discuss this a little further, Jesus, before I say yes. You see, modern Christianity doesn't know how to swallow this. Because we've created a rendition of Christianity which is cozy and comfortable. And it doesn't involve suffering. How? Of course not. Suffering is a bad word. When in actuality in the kingdom of heaven, suffering is not a bad word. I know that sounds funny, but it's not. Any more than to us, if any of you are athletes, and I were to say, uh, all right, we're going to do some fitness uh, drills. We're going to exercise. We're going to do uh, some training that you're going to see that is bad. And yet what that is, is that's a form of suffering. It is. Now, some of you know that, and you're like, oh, great. We're going to run a mile. You're like, oh, no. Why would you not want to run a mile? Because it's suffering. However, an athlete appropriates that quote-unquote suffering in a completely different way than someone who hates running. What's that athlete going to think? I'm going to become stronger if I do that. I'm going to be in better shape. Cardiovascularly, it's going to expand my abilities. I'll be able to go further next time. You see, weights to an athlete are opportunities. To someone who's out of shape, they're death. <laughs> and that's precisely what we see. We see a conversion of a cross. Instead of it being a symbol of death, like, oh, no, woe is me. It's like, yes, Lord, you will build me stronger as I pick up that cross and carry it. Life comes... Where? Not before the cross, after the cross. When you are willing to bear the cross and go where the cross takes you, yeah, you're buried, you end up in a grave, yeah, but what happens to that grave? Stone rolls away and you find life everlasting. You see, life follows cross. You want to live? Well, then you need to come and die. It's a principle of the kingdom. Everything I'm sharing with you is just good old classic Jesus teaching. Unless a man gives up his life, unless that corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it can't bear much fruit. You want to bear much fruit? You want to show the signs of life? You need to come to your end. Now, here's what's interesting. We come to our end and we come to the cross and I'm still breathing. In, out, in, out. 
I'm still breathing. I'm still alive physically. But spiritually is what we're talking about first. Yes, it may lead to your physical death. That's a possibility. But right now, I want to talk about the spiritual transformation. Old man crucified. And we'll go into this in this semester that we are going to unpack. Old man, your first man, needs to come to his end. And that happens at Christ's cross by faith. So that a new man, the scriptures call it a new creature. Some translations would say a new creation. You are a new man with new eyes. They're spiritual eyes. You're seeing things different. It's like, whoa, I never saw a life like this. A new tongue. It's no longer that tongue that James talks about that is set on fire by the fires of hell. It's now a tongue that is set on fire by the fires of heaven. You have a new heart. Whoa. It's beating with heavenly burden. And now suddenly you care about people that you never once even thought twice about. What's going on inside of you? You see, this is a new creature, a new creation in Christ Jesus. Where did that happen? At the cross. You see, when you came and you died, you were buried with Christ, and then something new bursted forth. It was life. Capital L, life. Adam had it, and then he lost it. Jesus brought it back. He brought us back to life, spiritual life. I'll read this again just because it can't hurt us, right? Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Okay, so we have a cross. You have a personalized cross. It's one constructed just for you. Now, that's a hard thing because when we hear that, we think of an actual physical cross. It's not a physical cross like Christ's was. It's a spiritual cross. It's, it's a decision. It's a weight in your life. It's a splintery something. You're going to, each of us in here has been uniquely given an assignment. We each, oftentimes we look at each other's sufferings and challenges and we're like, oh, I'd trade out mine for those. Grass is always greener in spiritual lawns too. We have a tendency to look over that fence and go, hmm, boy, if I had that as my challenge, or we look over and we don't see their challenges. We just see some roses blooming, you know, some nice green grass. We look over at ours and our sprinkler system isn't working and it's dead grass. We're like, why did I get the sprinkler system that doesn't work and they get one that does? Well, little do you know that their challenge might be like groundhogs or something, you know, burrowing under the, the surface. They have a different issue. We each have been given a cross. Most of us don't particularly want to pick ours up. But when you don't respond rightly to the challenges in your life, it's interesting, but there's a decay that takes place in your soul. But when you embrace your unique difficulties, it's amazing, but you find life. So I'm just saying, to start out our time together this, for this week-long training, or for our uh, full five-weekers that are going to be here, or for those of you who are going to stay on for 10 weeks for the advanced two, or for those of you who are going to stay 13 weeks and get the whole kit and caboodle this fall, this is a great beginning. Whosoever desires to follow Jesus must deny himself, must pick up their cross and follow him. So what are we supposed to pick up again? Well, it's something that when you pick up, you need to recognize that there's no complaining with it. It's time to let go of that faction of your life that is wanting to complain, 
to murmur and to say, God, I accept the end that you are taking me to. I will go where you lead me, and I might as well go there with a smile. Richard Wormbrandt, uh, one of the great influences in my life, he was a Romanian pastor that suffered uh, under the communists uh, when Stalin's uh, regime came into uh, to Romania. And Richard Wormbrandt once said that uh, when you're in prison, it is very important that you smile. I go, oh, what do you mean, smile? Because smiling uses, I forgot what it was, like to frown uses like, 40 different muscles, but to smile uh, only uses eight, and so you are far healthier when you smile in prison. It was like just such a unique turn. He had a great sense of humor too, and he was playing upon the irony of that to everyone, that it's actually easier to suffer when you smile. And of course, all of us are thinking, I can't smile when I suffer. Well, it's actually easier if you do. And that's the principle of life in general, though. Life, life even in the darkest prison cell, can be a song if you know how to appropriate it. Your cross could be a blessing if you would get that curse mentality out of there. Jesus has converted it. He has changed it. He has redeemed what you have been looking at as a negative in your life, and he has redeemed it to give it back to you. And you say, you ready to take this as a gift, as a blessing in your life? So let's go through some potential crosses, just potentials. There's probably thousands of them. I actually don't know how many there could be, but they come in different shapes and sizes. They have different looks, different splinters. Uh, so this is one is, is it the Davidic sheepfold? Now at first you're like, what does that mean? Okay, well, David had a cross. Well, we wouldn't have called it that, but it was. David was anointed king of Israel. And yet, he was tending sheep. You know what that must have felt like? He was anointed king, and then he was sent back out by his dad and brothers for the lowest position in all the culture at that time, which was a shepherd. And so the king was sent back out to do the lowest position. Obviously, his dad and dad and brothers didn't quite believe what had just taken place. I want you to recognize that that's a cross that some of you in here will need to bear. That there's a calling on your life that is much greater than what you are doing right now, and you know it. And yet God has assigned you some sheep, and he wants to know how you're going to handle that. Many of us look at that as a curse, like, God, why? I'm built for so much more. You see, you're not embracing your cross. David embraced his cross. That's what's so profound about the life of David. You don't hear him murmur and complain. You just see him do what he's supposed to do. And as a result, out of his life comes forth such great strength. Is it labor without obvious fruit? This is a hard one, guys. This is a hard cross to bear when you are laboring day in and day out and you're giving your best, but and you're praying. You're doing it for Jesus and yet you're not seeing impact. Oftentimes, some of the greatest ministers of the gospel have been brought through seasons like that where the labor in their life, I mean, because we have a simple rule of thumb as Christians. I labor for Jesus, I pray, I do all this, and then, boom, world has changed. Yeah, right, like that, right? And then God looks at us and says, yeah, but there is also a cross that needs to be born in the midst of this. Some of the greatest stories in missionary history come from a season of labor without obvious fruit for decades. 
And then suddenly, because of the constancy, the endurance, the perseverance, boom, out comes such an amazing revival. Well, which one of us is willing to bear that cross? It's like, God, I'm willing to serve you as long as I see instant fruit. Or are you willing to carry the cross of laboring without the instant fruit? Eesh, heavy cross, splintery. It is the heavenly request to be kind. Oh, could, could your cross be? I'm going to see if I can phrase this. That you have been, you've received a heavenly request to be kind and forgiving towards someone who has done you terrible wrong. Some of us, imagine if your cross was like this. Someone in your life has greatly harmed you. Oftentimes, they don't even see it, right? They're just going on there. Maybe they do see it. They're like, eh, who cares? And what you desire to do is to shun them. You desire to turn a cold shoulder, but God is working inside of you. And he says, I want you to love that person the way I love them. I want you to be kind to that person. I want you to be gentle towards that person, even when they are harsh towards you. I want you to pray for that person, and I want you to seek their soul. That's a cross. It's heavy. Because like, God, this is, my emotions aren't lining up. Will you let me line them up for you? In other words, when you choose to carry things like this, it's heavy. It's hard. But it will change your life, and it will change the world. Is it that you are compelled to speak about Christ in a place where, where to speak means extreme difficulties for you and for the ones you love? You see, maybe your life, because a lot of you are going to be North American, maybe you don't fully understand this. Maybe you do. I can understand this, and I live in America. But there's certain situations and certain setups where you know you need to speak. But if you speak, it's actually going to create great difficulty and trauma for your life and for those you love. So what's the natural instinct? Don't pick up that cross. I'm not going to pick up that cross. It would mean, well, what do you think a cross means? It means you come and die. It means you have to let go. When Jesus picked up his cross, capital C cross, you know that it affected the people that he loved. Imagine what his mom was going through. And imagine he had to still carry that. As a human man, he had to know that his mom was suffering. To see him hanging before that nation, looking and appearing like a criminal, with his beard ripped out and a crown of mocking thorns in his brow. Imagine what that would feel like as a son. <sighs> Can't even imagine. If I had to hang naked, and I knew what that was going to do to my wife and my kids, knowing that it was a shame to my family, and knowing that they had to carry that, that would be hard. Yeah. It's a cross. You see, we haven't been called to the life of ease. We've been called to the Christian life. We've been called to enter into the historic train of those that have laid down their lives, generation after generation, for the glory of King Jesus. I want to be a part of that train. I want to be a part of that cloud of witness. I want that. I don't want the soft version of Christianity that is creating an entirely new character to the idea of what the cross is, what following Jesus means, what it means to pray. All these things are being redefined before our very eyes. I want the old stuff. I want the stuff that has changed the face of nations, generation after generation. I want the power of the gospel back. I want it. 
But if I want that life, I also want a cross. And I need to carry a cross. And I need to carry it daily. As Paul says, Eric, die daily. Die daily? Die daily. Have you ever noticed that you can die today and then tomorrow you wake up and you're like, mine. It's a weird propensity. But that's why Paul says you need to die daily. We choose this life every day. First thing I do when I wake up, I mean, it's actually the first thing I do every morning. I put my feet on the ground, and I'm saying something akin to this every morning. Good morning. Morning, Jesus. You purchase this with your blood. It belongs to you. Take it. Lead me today. I am in Christ. Christ is in me. Now let's do this thing. This is how I'm waking up every day. This is the rehearsal of the soul of Eric Ludi. But this is just the rehearsal of the Christian. Still talking about crosses, guys. Is it that you are unusually burdened with challenges? Those challenges could take different forms. Physical challenges? Psychological challenges? There's things that just niggle at your life that other people don't have to deal with. And it's like, why did I get that? Why do I have this one noise going off in my life just constantly? How about practical challenges? Other people don't have those, but you have these unique practical challenges that make it hard to do just basic things in life. Why did you get that? So these are challenges that persist day after day and you must choose to bear a happy face no matter the pain you are currently enduring. So crosses take on different shapes, different forms. Now I'm not saying I named your cross. You, you could have one right now, but maybe the Spirit of God is touching you and saying, yeah, but that's yours right here. You see, it's not up to me to pull to the surface your specific weight that God has asked you to carry with joy. It's just a message like this is a great conduit to have that happen. I have different challenges in my life, and I find that even with a message like this, I can be convicted to say, you know what? I haven't been carrying that with a smile. I've been carrying it, but I've been carrying it with a somewhat of a grumble like, God, I think you're about to kick in, right, and take this cross away. As opposed to, God, I'm willing to carry this cross as long as you assign it to me. Thank you for this privilege. You see, if I went into a gym every day, and say I started, I was working on curls. Curls are like, they build biceps, okay? So I have some dumbbells in there, and I come in the first day and say I can lift a 15-pound dumbbell, and I curl it and I do 10 reps, right? The next day I come in that week and I do 15 reps, and I do 20 reps. What's happening to my body? Now, it's not that impressive, 15 pounds isn't that much, right? But I'm getting stronger. Now, what happens in the spiritual life is you don't stay at 15 pounds. The next week or two weeks after, you graduate to 20 pounds. And when you first pick up the 20, you're like, whoa, that's, that's heavier. This is a heavier weight. I've never dealt with this before. And God says the same thing curl it. You see, we could lay on our back and go, oh, oh, and stick the weight on our throat and go, oh, the weights are so heavy in my life. Or we could stand up, face the weights, and use them. If you use weights in your life as opposed to be defeated by them, you will find that you will get increasingly stronger with every repetition. In fact, as a good trainer knows, the more repetitions and when you get to that point where you don't think you can go on is actually when you're growing stronger at the higher levels. 
percentage-wise, you are actually gaining greater ground when you're at your end. Think about that one. Isn't that an amazing thought? We don't want to get to that place. Well, if you want to be a great spiritual athlete, you need to be willing to get to that place. So the next week, two weeks, three weeks later, you're at 25 pounds, 30, 35 pounds. How high can you get? I don't know. You know, 475 pound <laughs> curls. God builds strong men and women, but he builds them through a very simple process of the Spirit of God allowing certain weights to enter into your life, and he trains you to embrace them, to carry them well, to exercise with them as opposed to be beat down by them. We want public approval to be high for our life. We do natural instinct. I don't naturally go out into this world and try and pick a fight with pop culture and have them hate me. There's nothing in me that is inclined towards that. But when I follow Jesus, I know. I know what it will look like. It will look like I'm hanging between earth and heaven and I'm cursed. And everyone, I don't want to have anything to do with that guy. He's, he's cursed. That's what it looks like to people. It literally looks like something they, they don't want to come near. You're one of those? You're like one of those Jesus people? I don't want to have anything to do with you. You see, we know that. It's like a pungent cologne. <laughs> you spritz it on in the morning willfully and go, oh boy, some people aren't going to like this. Psst, 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 psst. And yet, to some it will be the smell of life. To others, the smell of death. So I think the, the, name, the name of this guy is so perfect. I mean, you cannot come up with a better name, especially after what I just said. Uh, but this guy's name was actually Ander, Alexander Smelly. And this is such a good quote, guys. What I'm about to read you is such a good quote. And I just think his name is, I mean, could you imagine this guy had a cross in his life? It was his name. <laughs> so the very guy that's writing this, he understood this at a very deep level. What's your name? Alexander. Alexander what? Well, my last name is Smelly. Oh, is it? <laughs> Did you guys ever hear the story of when I was uh, in college and this uh, Japanese foreign exchange student uh, was there and so I came up and I was introducing myself. Hi, my name's Eric Ludi, welcome. Uh, and she said her name, or she, actually I asked her name and then she asked me mine. I said, my name's Eric Ludi. And once I said my name, she started laughing. Excuse me, <clears throat> something funny? Uh, she goes, in Japan, Ludi me nerd. <laughs> Well, in America, it means stud. <laughs> so, uh, Alexander Smelly. Let's listen to what he has to say. The cross which my Lord bids me to take up and carry may assume different shapes. I may have to content myself with a lowly and narrow sphere when I feel that I have capacities for much higher work. I may have to go on cultivating year after year a field which seems to yield me no harvest whatsoever. I may be bidden to cherish kind and loving thoughts about someone who has wronged me, be bidden to speak to him tenderly and to take his part against all who oppose him and crown him with sympathy and succor, which is health, help. I may have to confess my master amongst those who do not wish to be reminded of him and his claims. I may be called to move among my race and to show a glorious morning face when my heart is breaking. There are many crosses, and every one of them is sore and heavy. 
None of them is likely to be sought out by me of my own accord. But never is Jesus so near me as when I lift my cross and lay it submissively on my shoulder and give it the welcome of a patient and unmurmuring spirit. He draws close to ripen my wisdom, to deepen my peace, to increase my courage, to augment my power, to be of use to others. And though the very, through the very experience which is so grievous and distressing, and then as I read on the seal of one of those Scottish covenanters whom Claverhouse imprisoned on the lonely bass, with the sea surging and sobbing round, I grow under the load. that rugged cross. I know it doesn't look good, smelly good, or feel good on your back. Okay, there's nothing attractive to the natural man. Your natural man that needs to come and die, he is not naturally attracted to a cross. It's only the new man that is able to see what I'm talking about. So as a result, depending on how you're hearing this message will show oftentimes a lead in your life. Is it old man thinking that is still ruling? Or is it new man thinking? Because I look at crosses, though I still struggle with them, don't get me wrong, I look at them as a weight room. Just like getting up early, if I had a workout at five in the morning, it's like, but why do I do it? I know it's good. I know it's gonna be good for me. Many of us don't see that with the cross. All we see is death. We see reputational suicide. We see giving up life as we know it. Oh, I love life as I know it. Instead of recognizing the life over here in Christ is so superior, guys. Why, if you saw how beautiful this life was, you would not hold on to this pathetic one that leads to death and eternal separation from God anyways. I mean, there's no long-term benefits anyways in it. Jesus is life. So that rugged cross, it doesn't look good, smelly good, or feel good on your back. But that rugged cross is a gift. That rugged cross is the means by which God will bring life, power, love, and power to you. You want more of him? Pick up that cross. You want more life? Pick up that cross. You want more love? Pick up that cross. You want more power? Pick up that cross. It's the exact opposite of what you'd be thinking, isn't it? Boy, I would be so much stronger if I didn't pick up this cross. I mean, I could be so much more effective if I didn't scare the world away and suspend myself between earth and heaven. You know, I don't want to look shameful to the world. I could be so much more influential if I just played it cool. How many Christians have fallen for that one? You want to be influential for the kingdom of heaven? Pick up your cross and follow him. You see, God is the only one that can change the world around you. Your coolness is never going to change one human soul. It's God that changes the human life, and this is his means. Come follow me. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow. This is how God gets her done. So embrace your rugged cross, and you will find the grace to not just bear your rugged cross, but to also cherish it. So I, I don't know how you're appropriating this. This message could be threatening to you. To me, it's delightful. Isn't it funny? I love messages like this because I see a cross through a different lens, but I also am sensitive to where you're at 
possibly, because I don't know where you're at, but I'm sensitive to the fact that you could be in a place where you're looking at crosses and you're only seeing splinters. You're only seeing public shame. You're only seeing loss of your way of doing things, of your vision and what you esteem in this life. I get it. I understand that. And that can be a huge blockade. But God will touch us right there. And he'll say, I love you. I came to set you free from the bondage you're in. If you want to find my fullness, I need you to deny yourself. Which basically means give all that up. Give up looking good to the world around you. You no longer need to be living for the public opinion polls, guys. Jesus will set you free from that. When you live over here in that new life, you know that you are free? As Tozier, same guy that wrote Old Cross and the New, once said, the gospel sets us free from the tyranny of public approval. The tyranny, it's like a government that rules everything. And that's what public approval is for many of us. It's like, I must look good to this world. I, I, I must be favorable to them. I, I want them to like me. Oh, it's crippling. And so when I am sharing what I'm sharing, you're like, I wouldn't look good then. I wouldn't smell good then. I, I would look funny. I would look like one of those crazy Christians. I know. I know. Do you know that the word Christian, even when it was first invented, was a slur? It was a put-down? So when we wear the badge, we're wearing a critique, a criticism, a slur. Yeah, it's like fool. It's like, yeah, I, I'm one of those. Are you one of the fools? Yeah, I'm one of the fools. And you say it boldly? What's wrong with that guy? Well, he's not living over here. He's living with a new mindset. But what, a, what a strange thing. Would you like to be with the idiots? You know that Paul actually uses that word in the Greek? Idiotes is actually the word in the Greek. That's where we get the word idiot. And Paul said, basically, he's willing to look like an idiot. Are we? You see, Paul understood what I'm talking about this morning. Of course, he's the one that taught me. This is the classic message of the gospel throughout the ages. It calls a man to come and die. Why? Not just so that he can just lay dead, but so that he can come to life. He can live the life that God intended him to live. Guys, as we close today, I want us to be very watchful in our souls not to hear and to understand, but then to let drop. A message like this is a little challenging because we would sort of, it's like a hot potato. It's like, ah, I don't really want to hold that. But a message like this needs to be embraced. You either run from it or you embrace it. I want to challenge your soul to embrace and not run. Even though there's part of you, and I'll be explaining, or the training over this, this week and over the upcoming time is going to train you what dynamic you are facing when you feel conviction, when you feel that tension of like, I don't want it, but I do. I don't want it, but I do. Isn't that funny? How could we be so schizophrenic inside of ourselves? It's because there's two factions at work and you have not learned how to turn down the volume on the flesh faction. It's the self-serving faction. It's the one that thinks about you instead of Christ. But when you come to Christ, he actually gives you all the tools to go, turn down the volume knob. So flesh is like, 
screaming, but you can't hear it anymore. You're, hearing, you're turning up the volume on the Spirit of God, on his truth. You're like, yeah, yes, Lord, thank you for talking to me. And yet this voice is still going. It's still squawking over here. And many of you are very familiar with this voice of self. You've never understood a life where that voice is not the lead voice. Well, I want to invite you into the hallowed halls of strong, vibrant Christianity, where self, when you're staying over here, you just sort of chuckle at self. It's like, come on. As if you think that I'm going to live for you again? I have something so much greater that I'm going after. The glory of King Jesus. This is so much better than this pathetic, selfish vision, Eric Ludy, that you have. Come on. We have bigger fish to fry, guys. Let's start frying them. Father, I just ask for your richest blessings upon each of these that are present here today. That they would catch this. That they would see this. That they would understand this. And that they would give themselves to this. Lord, I pray that our time together of worship would flow out of this. And that we would be able to partake in your presence at a greater, more intimate level than maybe ever before. We love you and we trust you. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday morning. Join us at live.ellersley.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellersley campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.